Good afternoon. The time is 3.10. We'll start our next session titled COVID-19, Politics, Science, and Superstition. Our speakers are Jordan Shocktel, Matt Kibbe, Scott Moorfield, Bob Wright. Please silence your phone and address all questions into the mic during the Q&A session. Thank you. Hey everyone, can you hear me? So there's so much stuff to talk about with the COVID stuff. Um, I'm Jordan Schachtel. I'm an independent journalist, uh, commentator, wear a bunch of other hats. Uh, we have a terrific panel today. We have Scott Moorfield, first person here. He works for uh, Town Hall. We have Bob Wright at AIER, and we of course have Matt Kibbe at uh, Free the People. So I just wanted to do like half hour of kind of a roundtable conversation or so, and I'm happy to open it up for Q&A after, because it's a super important topic. And of course, I'm sure so many of you have some interesting questions. Um, and I kind of wanted to start because there's been so many both, I think, good and bad things that happened over the last 18 months. And you kind of, in, in internet lingo, you know, you, you say you're black-pilled if you're pessimistic about the future, you're white-pilled if you're optimistic about the future. And you can be very much black-pilled by the COVID stuff because of the lockdowns, the infringements on the liberties. But I, I think that our side, the, uh, you know, the, the freedom-seeking, uh, human sovereignty-promoting individuals, that caucus has increased dramatically. Um, this thing started w with the lockdowns. There were so few of us um, in, in the media space and the commentary space that actually spoke out about this. And I, w I was kind of shocked about this, but I think our numbers now are, are so much bigger than they used to be. There's so many people have been um, awakened to, to the madness that is giving you know, the government all of this um, re responsibility over your lives. And, and I just wanted to ask, open the floor uh, to you guys. So are, are you more black-pilled or white-pilled? Uh, or just something in between? I can go first if, if it's all right to go from there. Yeah. Black-pilled entirely. I, I think it was shocking um, how much when this first came out how many people, even in red, even in, sorry, even in red areas that you would not expect. I know in our town, um, East Tennessee, as soon as they started talking about masking, we would go, I'd go in a grocery store and most people wouldn't be wearing them. But then the more it went on and they instituted the mandate in our county and most of the counties, even in Tennessee, people just completely succumbed to it. And we knew the numbers, we knew the data, and just the fact that it's bad in, it was bad in red areas. It was bad in Ohio. Um, it was bad in Utah. You had mass mandates in Wyoming, of all places, North Dakota. So it was upsetting just to see how many people just fell and, and just went along with it, even in the face of the data. And we knew this as early as March. I mean, I did my first, these guys did, I'm, I'm sure you guys were quick on it too. My first anti-lockdown article was March, 2020. It was obvious from the Diamond Princess, from the numbers on that ship, it was obvious that this was not Captain Trips. This was not the Black Plague. It was not the Spanish flu. It was not even close. So, and you tell that to people and they just, they look right through you. It was, it was strange. Um, I want to invent a new pill. <laughs> we the, bl it. the black hole pill. 
<laughs> I, I I'm, uh, was also floored um, at some, somewhat at, at the way s citizens responded to it, but, but also just the, the government, because it, it's some combination of incompetence and venality. Uh, there, there's just, and I don't know where along that, uh, that curve it fall, but th they failed utterly and completely. And how, you know, they are still in power is really, is really beyond me. Um, so I vote for black hole pill. Okay, I feel obligated to be white pilled here because, <laughs> and it sort of depends on the time of the day and how grumpy I am because, because it, I'm sort of schizophrenic on this subject, and, and, and my organization and m myself, we, we almost revamped ourselves in March of 2020 because I understood that this was an existential threat to liberty. Um, and I could tell the stories of human devastation and lives lost and, and liberties lost and, and, and all of the things that we've been talking about for the last year and a half. Um, but there's also a story of resilience and, and we did a, one of the documentaries we have at the Anthem Film Festival is called All We Have. And in, in many ways, it's a ultimate black pill movie because it's about a family in Brooklyn that was trying to save their family restaurant. They're, uh, thank God they're still struggling with that. And in the middle of the lockdowns, they live in Brooklyn, New York, um, their son started having health problems. And because he couldn't get the treatment he needed, he died. This family still goes on. And that the whole story of capitalism versus socialism is one of incredible resilience where people figure out a way to keep going on and surviving and thriving despite the things that governments do. And I think, I think our almost obligation is to be white-pilled even when we don't feel like it um, because the counter-revolution is right around the corner. I'm old enough to know, remember the Wall Street bailouts, and, and, and I, I wrote a piece for Reason called What Would Mises Do? And, and I, I was sort of like, it's over. We're screwed. There's only like 12 people in the entire liberty movement that are opposing Wall, Wall Street bailouts right now. And it reminds me of March of 2020. Every, every so-called libertarian and, and conservative group took a powder on this thing. But remember what happened after the Wall Street bailouts. There was a revolution, there was a Ron Paul revolution, and there was a Tea Party revolution, and people got fed up and they took um, some of their liberties back, and it's our job to see the next revolution. So I have a background in international affairs, and what I really found interesting was the state of the, uh, you know, what people refer to as the free world. A lot of these free world countries were the first to lock down and are still locked down, and I thought that was incredible to observe. And it really challenges, I think, your perspective about how these governments actually operate. So I wanted to open the floor again. Um, what, how do you perceive the state of the free world as it currently stands? Don't move to Australia, whatever you do. Move to socialist Sweden. I mean, go figure, right? I mean, Sweden's the only place you know, in, in the Western world that handled this correctly, honestly. I mean, that, that's it. So we've got a, that's our, um, what do you call it, or it's a test case, basically. I mean, that, that's our control group. And, you know, it's obvious that you don't need all the measures that we had. But, I mean, all of Europe is still under lockdown, and who knows when they're going to come out. Australia is in and out, in and out, in and out. You have two cases in the whole, you know, the whole uh, 
region locks down. So that's zero COVID for you. Anything that's falling for zero COVID, um, that's a disaster. Uh, there's a, a small part of the free world and you're in it right now. Um, I uh, was living in South Dakota um, when, the, uh, when the stuff hit the fan in March of uh, 20, 2020. Um, I was uh, East, East River, as we say, but in, in, in Sioux Falls, and I saw the way that, uh, that Christie handled it, and it wasn't, it wasn't perfect, but it was so much better than in so many uh, other places, and, and that's why we're here um, you know, in South Dakota right now, because this is the one state where the, the organizers of this conference knew that we would be able to sit here together in a large gathering without, without masks um, as a voluntary you know, measure. Um, and. Uh, so yeah, there's a there's a little bit left, and and hopefully like in in the, the old game Risk, um, you know we got all of our armies in one. <laughs> hopefully we can start to branch uh, out again. But again, I am a uh, I, I am a um, you know a black hole pill taker. So, um, but I guess one thing with with a with a black hole is that um, we don't know what's on the other side. So there is some possibility we'll survive the black hole and come out into the white light. But we shall see. And there's definitely going to be Bitcoin on the other side. <laughs> um, I, I, when you say the phrase the free world, it turns out it wasn't nearly as free as we thought it was. And, and, and we talked about this in a previous panel. Um, they finally found our tell, which is our fear of getting sick. And, and it's, they've, they've, been trying all, they've been trying all sorts of things, right? All sorts of things to scare us to death, to cede to all this government authority. And you know, as as a libertarian, I've I've been having arguments with some of my fellow libertarians about Christie Nome or about Governor DeSantis, um, places where um, politicians have stuck their neck out. You have to appreciate how uh, courageous it is. Think about the demonization of Governor DeSantis in Florida, and think about how unique it was that he stuck his neck out after originally making the wrong decision, you know, he actually said, I got it wrong. When's the last time you've seen a lockdown politician say that? And I, I think we should celebrate that. And this is all about our responsibility. I mean, I, I don't think we should wait for uh, politicians or authoritarians to do the right thing. Um, we should reward good behavior and punish bad behavior because politicians respond to incentives. And that's, that's why I'm, I'm white-pilled because I actually have faith in people standing up against authoritarianism. The entire history of the world is, is about those brave people. The guy, Tank Man, right? Tank Man's dead, but he stood up against tyranny, and there's something in us that does that, and part of that is, is celebrating those few people that didn't drink the Kool-Aid and take away our liberty. I think if you're right or not, I think Jordan and I were actually talking yesterday, if there's a huge surge in the fall and everybody falls for it again, then we're right. You know, if ever if we go back to mass mandates across the country and all this, right? But but if everybody's just like, you know what? It's Delta, you know, it's not even worse, you know, it's not even more contagious. So yeah, we'll see. And and I'd be I'd be willing to bet uh not gold or Bitcoin, but a hundred US dollars. Uh, on, on that, uh, so on almost that almost nothing is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think they're going back to mass mandates. <laughs> yeah. No. So one of the topics um, for today was censorship, and 
one of the biggest issues with getting the truth out about this topic is that you have Twitter, you have Facebook, you have Instagram, silencing and deplatforming basically anyone with an opinion that contradicts that of official government agencies. And you know, as history shows us, government science has not been particularly um, you know, truthful in a lot of manners. Uh, just the other day, actually, my, my Google Docs account, I, I found that Google was like deleting drafts of my stories. Oh. So I would recommend not using Google Docs. But um, I wanted to ask my co-panelists, in, in a world of so much censorship, so much noise, where do you find the truth these days? My articles at Town Hall. You mean besides right here? <laughs> yeah. Don't pitch, yeah. don't pitch uh, your own organization. <laughs> yeah. Alternative media, right? I mean, it, you're not going to find the mainstream media. I'm, ch I'm checking my Google Docs account right now. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's a fascinating thing. We also, uh, what's her name, the press lady from the Biden administration, telling us that she was uh, sending a list over to social media um, to make sure that this was um, done right. And in, in a normal world, that would be evil and everyone would be going bananas, but I suspect only us in this room went bananas about it. And I've come up with a new theory on this. Um, in economics and public choice theory, there's something called regulatory capture, where big corporations um, cozy up to big business and create a lot of barriers to entry, regulations, uh, speech codes in this particular case. And, and prevent young upstarts from breaking into that. Um, this is political capture because what they're really doing is making sure that only one side of the political narrative is told. And, and that to me is a whole new level of evil and corruption. But the, but the answer to the question is, um, for all of that censorship, um, we live in a world that is far more free when it comes to, to storytelling and um, counter-government narratives. And I think we, we need to keep innovating until there is the ultimate blockchain solution. But all of us up here are an example of how um, the real story gets out despite all of these barriers uh, thrown up by big tech and big government. Yeah, Bitcoin, not blockchain, but I get it. Matt, you had a very interesting, um, you wanted to talk about something very interesting that I think has parallels to what just happened over the last 18 months. Uh, do you want to share that story with us? Sure. If any of you guys watch my show, Kibbe on Liberty, you know that part of the ethos is every time I quote Frederick Hayek, you have to drink. And if you brought, if you brought booze, please do that. But um, uh, sanitizer, anyone? <laughs> <laughs> um, Frederick Hayek wrote this book called The Counter-Revolution of Science, and he takes on this obscure a French aristocrat called Saint-Simon. And Saint-Simon is infamous for the guy that, that supposedly coined the word socialism. And I did a deep, a deep dive on this um, when I was trying to take a more sympathetic view on democratic socialism. And, and I made a video that you can check out called Let's Talk About Democratic Socialism. And I talk about this guy. One thing I didn't talk about in that video, his, his original conception of socialism, tell me if this sounds familiar, was to take the chaos of society in the market and replace it with a council of scientists, the very best in their fields. There was going to be a mathematician, and there was going to be a physicist, and there was going to be, they didn't have epidemiologists back then, but whatever, you know, it's probably someone that leached people um, for, for healthcare. And he was going to give them all the power. They couldn't be fired. 
They couldn't be stopped, and they were going to rationally reorganize society from the top down. Does any of that sound familiar at all? <laughs> the religion that we've embraced, uh, um, I call it Fauchism, um, and it's all based on this socialist dream that became the progressive dream of let's get really smart people, people a hell of a lot smarter than you guys, to reorganize things as if we were just a machine, like machine parts, and we'll, we'll tweak all that stuff. The current, uh, this, this is like the wet dream for these guys right now because they have a scared to death and they're like, follow the science. Well, what they're really saying is follow the government. And it all goes back to the S word and this idea that, that we are just cogs in a wheel to be manipulated and subjugated to our, our better authorities. Most people. I guess I sounded black pilled there, didn't I? <laughs> you did. <laughs> Most people with e epidemiology degrees, or their actual undergraduate, is in the social sciences. Sciences, so that tells you a lot about it. I mean, it's more about epidemiology is a lot more about just social control and social manipulation than it is about curing disease. You know, so we're under the rule of the social controllers essentially. Did you guys see the political affiliation of various uh, healthcare? Um, professions, and I don't. There was there was like several dozen of them, and it turns out that every single epidemiologist is a socialist, yeah. and I don't know why that is. I think it's precisely what you're describing. Yeah. There, there's a there's a philosophical issue here when you talk about um, public health expert. What exactly does that mean? You, you know, to me, it has it has very left wing connotations. Have you have you guys thought about just just the um, you know, the, the reality that I think the people that are in charge of this response all happen to have a left-wing orientation, whether, you know, they have the, a public health degree, whether they're infectious disease experts. This, these categories all involve, I, I think, in, in one form or another, manipulating and kind of driving narratives for, for large segments of, of populations. You know, it's so far removed from uh, treating the individual, and I think that kind of carries over into their personal life and their political philosophy? It, it's largely a made-up concept. Um, it dates back to the, the 19th century and trying to control infectious diseases like cholera and, and so forth. Um, but we're all individuals. We all have our own immune systems. We all have our own uh, daily, daily practices that impinge on... Uh, you know our susceptibility to to disease and and so on and so forth. So there there really is not much there when it comes to things like public health, except for things like public water supplies, which is something we don't really need <laughs> either. Um, and so uh, yeah, I think your intuition on that is uh, is right. The myth of massive, widespread, asymptomatic spread is what they used to justify all this because you know never in the history of mankind has it been justifiable to quarantine the well it's always been the sick so now we're all sick and that's what they've based it on yeah if, has anyone noticed that in the airports they've changed from uh, wear your masks and do the six foot thing to protect against covid it now says <laughs> to protect against germs oh, have you noticed no and <laughs> I hate to break it to you guys, but there's germs everywhere. <laughs> and, but uh, yeah, like, and, and going back to public choice theory, I would just say like, I won't say it's a cottage industry because it's a tr multi-trillion dollar industry, but there is something that I would call the pandemic industrial complex. 
that involves all of these NGOs, nonprofits that are public health experts, uh, government agencies, and yes, corporations that that would very much benefit if let's imagine a hellish world where they mandate that you have to take one company's vaccine. I'm sure that would never happen. <laughs> never. But if it did, it would be super profitable and they might have an incentive to keep the, the gravy train rolling. I, I drove here, incidentally, from Great Barrington, Massachusetts, which is in the far western part of Mass Massachusetts. Oh, thank you. Um, but uh, the, the, uh, historically speaking, the, the, the best way to have approached uh, this it wasn't even discussed, and I tried to bring it up and was, was shouted down. Um, we should have had lazarettos. And uh, we should have had live virus um, vaccine inoculations on a voluntary basis. Um, and most of you probably don't even know what those words mean because it was not allowed to be discussed. Um, but basically it means putting people who are sick and separating them from others, not putting them into nursing homes, not shutting down hospitals. You have special hospitals for the infectious diseases. And then anyone who wants to get COVID can go and get a shot and get a mitered dose of the virus itself to develop immunity, which would have been a very rational thing for people 18 to 58 or so to have done. Yeah, it's another segment of the banned books section. It's <laughs> uh, so because we're at a libertarian conference, um, and I, I, this question is more for for Matt or, or Bob, but so. A virus breaks out in China, and it seems that the gain-of-function stuff is gaining some traction. And there are some actors, both international and individual actors, who I think should face uh, severe repercussions for, for, what they, for what they did, potentially you know, exposing the entire world to an infectious disease that they didn't need to be exposed to. How do libertarians... Um, deal with accountability on, on this scale, being, being someone from, from a small government philosophy? Well, I mean, I guess we would oppose uh, big government um, creating evil science labs where they create killer viruses as, as a start, but I'm not sure I totally um, understand the question. I, I, by the way, you've got to give a shout out to Rand Paul right now because he's taking the bark off of Fauci on this. But I do, I do think, think about the arrogance of um, we're going to create super killer viruses so that we can then redesign a virus or, or a vaccine to kill the super virus. Um, that's, that's everything that Hayek was warning about when he talked about scientism and fatal conceit and the things that, that we shouldn't do. And, and I'm, I'm not at all convinced. I mean, this, this strikes me as, as an e evil uh, collusion between big government, unaccountable bureaucrats. I mean, look, look at Fauci dance, right? Like how on earth would you ever hold the, um, the NIH accountable for this stuff? Because there's layers and layers of deniability in that. Um, I, I, think, I think the government should get out of science and it should get out of healthcare. I, I have a special plan for Fauci. Um, and check, check out my stuff on um, the AIER, um, you know, Daily Economy blog. I've been covering, like, the history of epidemiology and whatnot. And, like, in the 1830s, you know, the uh, doctors were killed 
um, during cholera outbreaks because they messed up. Um, and I, I don't go that that, that way uh, with, with Fauci, but I think a good modern um, penalty for him would be, um, have you all heard of uh, a person named Britney Spears? <laughs> you know how she's, she's under conservatorship because supposedly she's crazy? Well, I think that maybe Fauci should go under conservatorship <laughs> and, and then be placed in a uh, New York State nursing home. <laughs> be fired <laughs> or at least be fired at least. Yeah. <laughs> we'll start there yeah we'll, we'll settle there. for that for yeah. now yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no 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 not yet no. <laughs> could be worse <laughs> so I don't know about all of you but um, the last 18 months have radically changed the way that I think about human behavior and human psychology um, and it's just been shocking to me how many people were willing to go along with this mess going as far as to rat out their neighbors, call the police on their neighbors, try to get people that they cared about in trouble because they disagree with them, and this fear element that came in that really helped um, manipulate and control the masses. I mean, you read in the history books about the, the atrocities of the 20th century and, and before that and how it often involved um, psychological manipulation. And I, I think that a lot of us just thought that maybe we were in a point in Western society, at least, that we were moving beyond that. But I think that's clearly not the case. Um, has this age changed the way you guys think about human nature, human behavior? Um, has it changed your overall you know, pol political philosophy in any way? It's depressing. Um, it all, it is. It, it all started, honestly, with, with the masks. Because if you can put a mask on a person, then you're in a perpetual state of fear. And, and this is what it's about. If you keep people in a perpetual state of fear or panic, and COVID wasn't made up, we all know, obviously, but there are people who think it was. But if, they had, if it was made up and they just put everything in, everybody in a mask, then they could drive the exact same thing that they drove. Um, and so I think it, it, it starts with that. Um, and they've been able to just continue it from there. So again, epidemiology is about social control. If you can, you know, how do you control people? How do you get them to do what you want to do? So all the interchanges between Fauci, you know, early when Fauci get annoyed at Rand Paul, he, you can tell he's not annoyed that Rand Paul is wrong. He's annoyed that, that uh, Rand Paul is trying to circumvent what Fauci wants us to do. You know, so Rand Paul's like, well, why do I have to wear a mask if I'm vaccinated? And Fauci's like, no, 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 that's not, no. You know, and he don't really even explain. He's like, don't, you can, you can even tell that the claws are off. You know, he's like, you know, I, I'm, uh, you can tell he's just disturbed even being questioned. You know, it's authoritarian. So I'm going to start off black-pilled and bring it back to the light. Because um, the, the compliance and the neighbors calling out neighbors and, and actually f people physically attacking people for not um, wearing masks and, and, and not staying six feet apart is creepy, and I, I can, I can, I've read enough about history that I, I recognize this sort of behavior. And I'm not thinking about Nazi Germany, although that certainly happened there. I'm thinking about um, Pol Pot or Mao's China, where a big part of the Cultural Revolution in, in Mao's China was neighbors attacking neighbors. And I have a friend, Lee Schoolin, she's at this event, maybe you guys saw her speak, 
She was a young girl that grew up in Mao's China. And one of the horrible stories that she told me in one of our conversations was how her next door neighbors beat up her mom because her mom was deemed by the government to be um, part of a black family instead of a red family. Red families were communist, they were good. Black families probably were intellectuals or capitalists or something like that. And it wasn't a government that beat up mom, it was the next door neighbors. How does that happen? It scared him to death. So the antidote to that has to be individual responsibility and empowering people to know that they can stand up for themselves. And there's, there's this, there is this counter-revolution that's been going on quite some time. And I, I, I would point to someone like Jordan Peterson, who is all about, you got to get your shit together, right? No one's going to do it for you. Um, no one's going to give you self-esteem. You've got to take responsibility for yourself. And I think that is part of the, the light at the end of the tunnel is we have to teach people that, that this is not about um, your neighbor getting you sick. This is about you being a responsible person. And that's going to give you the security that you need because it's not the fake government security. It's the real security of taking ownership of yourself. I kid you. See, I got to the light side there. And I'm going to take it back to the dark side, um, but on the light side, um, in a different way. If you dig really deeply into the COVID um, transmission research, you'll find that uh, flatulence and other bathroom stuff was a major transmission mechanism. We could very well have had butt plug mandates. <laughs> Is this the dark side or the light side? Well, this I, <laughs> I wanted people to laugh, <laughs> but it's about a rather dark topic. <laughs> but if, if you remember uh, the South Park episode about the, the TSA, the Toilet Safety Administration, we may have had TSA agents checking our Then you could save the environment because you do the same thing with cows, you know, plug up their farts, and then you got, yeah, two for one. Bob was actually being serious about the, uh, the, the, the farts, apparently. It's like legitimate science. It's very strange. But uh, one more question before we open it up for uh, Q&A, and feel free to line up whenever. Matt alluded to the D.C. Beltway li Libertarians. Um, when this started, they were entirely missing in action, to put it lightly. And these are institutions that a lot of you, I assume, have donated to. And I don't think it's worth name dropping them, but you know who they are. I have, a, I have good friends in that space. And it was disappointing to see people talking about occupational licensing reform in Rhode Island while not discussing the lockdowns. It was just very strange to me. You know, your, the, your priorities were just seemingly not in order. And it made me question what, what exactly is going on in the D.C. Beltway with the libertarians right now, and, and why, why did that happen? So I, um, I, will, uh, I, have a, I have a theory about this because I'm, I'm by far the oldest guy up here, and I've lived through at least three moments where, where we really needed the liberty movement, not, not just libertarians, but everybody that talks about freedom and limited government. Um, and, you know, the first was 9-11 and the Patriot Act, and the second was the Wall Street bailout, and then the lockdowns, and I gotta tell you, the uh, 
the pro-liberty machine was AWOL in all three of those fights. And, and I, think it, I think it's easier to wait and see what's going to happen. You don't want to be on the wrong side of, of history or something. And, and my own view, and the reason that Free the People dropped a lot of projects that we were knee-deep knee into and focused, I think at least 50 to 60% of our production was about this stuff for the last year, is that honestly the only time groups like mine matter is when you're at that moment where there's an existential threat to liberty. Um, I'm all for occupational licensing reform, and I, I would join that fight, but it's not existential. And this was, and I think you know, the, the upside of being a libertarian is you, you know you're not going to be popular. You know that you're not going to make, like I live in D.C., I'm not going to make any friends there. But that's, that sort of gives you a little bit of armor to do the right thing, and it's so disappointing when people take a dive. All right, first question. Awesome. I just want to thank you guys for being on that front line, for providing the kind of content and information that you have over the, the last 16 months. I subscribed to your newsletter. I've been getting tons of information from um, your organization, AIER, um, and Town Hall. I mean, it's just been amazing. That, so the information is out there, and it gets censored so quickly. Um, and so, you know, I see so many people around here, and, and it's like, yes, they're all awake. They all, all are seeing the same things that we have, and Naomi Wolf and her, her presentation about the immunity passports. But yet there's a vast amount of people out there that are just asleep, and they're just still walking through. So I do believe that we're going to go back into these lockdowns and the mass. Um, so I guess my question is, it's not just America, it's, it's the whole West. And what can we do? Can we? Can we do something? Because we've been changing laws, we've been protesting in the streets, and we're still being silent. So do you have any tangibles for us to move forward? So I, I mean, I've been quoting Hayek up here, which is something I would never do in my real job because I don't think quoting dead economists or, or hammering people with data or economic laws of unintended consequences. That's not the way to reach hearts and minds. That the reason we made the doc I mentioned was that um, it's about lockdowns and it's about unintended consequences and it's about fatal conceit, but we don't say any of that because it's really about a guy and his wife and his dead son trying to get through life. And, and so I, I think part of, the, part of the thing we should all do is think about how to engage our, our scared neighbors and get them to start seeing the um, unintended consequences and long-term effects of this type of thing. And it might be health effects, it might be economic effects. These things are not unrelated, by the way. But have a little bit of empathy, like try to listen. Don't bark at them about, about being fascists. I mean, we can, we can do that here because it's fun, but. Um, <laughs> Just try to understand where they're coming from, I guess, is what I would say. I, I think one of the most successful movements we've seen in fighting back against this is in the, in the school boards. Parents have stepped up to the plate in recent months and have made uh, dramatic changes in, in the school systems with regard to masks and in-person schooling. I mean, the debate on in-person schooling is basically over now because so many people in their local community stepped up to the plate. I'm um, a scholar, and it's only been over the last... 18 months or so where I've been writing, you know, thousand words at a, 
at a time on specific uh, topics. Um, my goal is to um, get some big idea books out um, because uh, sometimes books do do and, and and scholarship does influence the world. And I'm I'm no Milton Friedman, but Milton Friedman helped you know with help from others started to move mountains and and led to like the Reagan revolution and whatnot. So the two big ideas that I'm working on right now, I have a book coming out called Liberty Lost, which is about um, nonprofits in the United States before the Civil War. It's like de Tocqueville on steroids um, because I have numbers and the, the scale and the scope of voluntary association in this country was amazing. And if we could bring that back as a, as a, as a first move rather than what can the government do to help, um, that would work wonders. And the second thing is um, that it turns out we have two constitutions, a written one and an unwritten one. And jurisprudence lost track of the unwritten and much more important constitution over the course of the 19th century. So I want to revivify that and bring that back into, uh, into, into con law. A little bit of white pill. Um, it, it's really neat how this whole thing has brought together so many people from so many different backgrounds. I mean, just the fact that Naomi Wolf was at a conference like this, you know, just, just being able to get to know her a little bit and, and the things that, you know, we can have liberty in common even if we don't have our, you know, our views on this or that social issue. So that's, that's really neat. And then people that have come to the forefront. Has anybody ever seen um, Ian Miller's graphs on Twitter? I mean, he's phenomenal. Um, Jordan's work, uh, people who've just been out there, Rational Ground, um, Air, uh, just, just these groups that have been out there putting out stuff and just basically telling the emperor they've got, that he's got no clothes at all and just putting their data right in front of them. And the more we do that, you know, I think that we just have to keep doing that in as many ways as we can. I mean, we have to be really careful on Twitter not to get banned so we can't come out and say certain things you know we can't say you know you're like you 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 can go so far and you don't want to you just want to try not to step over that and it's really hard to do um with it yeah scott makes a great point the the information the factual information is on the side of the proponents of liberty so yeah. go ahead um i think this might piggyback a little bit on that but it's just a distinction that i've kind of noticed that there's people who are afraid and then there's those that are hysterical um you know, when the beginning, when it, the coronavirus came out, corona beer sales dropped precipitously. Um, <laughs> presumably, Delta Airlines will see a drop. As well, well, I like beer, so that was probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, is it worth even trying to reason with people who are hysterical and hoarding toilet paper and doing all these silly things? No, like all, all social change happens at the margin. So speak to people that are reasonably afraid because their government has told them all these horror stories about how everybody's dying and engage them and, and, and write off the ungettables, it's not worth your time. Yeah, if you're 18 months in and you're still at that level, there, there's, there's no uh, persuading those folks. But there's a lot of people that are waking up to uh, the COVID tyranny. Then they, they get COVID or they get the vaccination or they get COVID, then they get two vaccinations and then they wear eight masks anyway. I mean, you're just not going to help them. You're not. So just leave them alone. So I want to say as a physician, I am dismayed at the 
intellectual dishonesty of my colleagues. And And I wonder, I don't wonder, I know that there are too many employed physicians nowadays because that's how we survived maintaining the income that we had. You had to band together in large groups, otherwise the insurance companies would cut and cut and cut. And so in order to have that bargaining power, they band together as big groups. And I fear that most of them don't have that ability or are afraid for their jobs. That was just a statement. My real question is, you know, the PCR tests, and I don't know if you guys know much about it. I hope you do. Uh, it was invented in the 1990s, and it takes an amplification of whatever particular thing that you're studying. So I was studying P51 ribosomes on head and neck cancers. The more you run that cycle, the more likely you're gonna get a positive. So if you run it 10 times and it's negative, you don't have anything. You run it 25 times and it's positive, you might have something. You run it 40 times, which was the cycle threshold that we used to make that diagnosis, and it was inaccurate. Do you guys have comments on that? Yeah, this has been the biggest data mess in like human history. Uh, what a lot of people refer to as the case-demic, uh, there, there's all these cases of COVID popping up and as the, the doctor has explained, people, they say they're sure in diagnosis, but it really isn't a certainty whatsoever and the inventor of the PCR test uh, explicitly said not to use his test for this type of diagnosis. So it is very, uh, I know Scott's been on this beat for a while too. Yeah, and, and then of course, did, didn't they uh, say, well, after you have a vaccine, we'll just lower that PCR cycle a little bit. You know, we'll, we'll do 25 now since you've had a vaccination. Well, they're, they're controlling that. Well, and, and the worst part about it was that people thought they had COVID and didn't, and then began, began to behave as if they had natural immunity. Those people should sue. So it wasn't real. Good. Um, so I had a hard time uh, with a lot of libertarians during this. I felt like libertarian arguments were turned on its, on its head. You know, people said, the non-aggression principle, well, this fits in with that. Don't cough on somebody because, you know, you're violating their rights. Well, you know, you, you might not even know you have something, you know, and you're, you're violating your, somebody else's rights just by your very existence, which means that you have to regulate just being alive. And then, and, but so many libertarians kept using that argument, you know, this fits in with the non-aggression principle. You can't make somebody else sick. And then one of the other ones I had a hard time with was, um, well, a private business can do whatever they want. So I was actually living in Fairbanks, Alaska when all this happened, and we didn't have a state mask mandate, but we did lockdown um, for a little while. Um, but my borough never had a mandate, and Fairbanks never had a mask mandate. But it was like July 10th, and the only store at that point that I put in mask mandates was Costco, and I said, oh, I'll take my money elsewhere. Well, the only other places to shop were Fred Meyer, Walmart, and Safeway, and all of a sudden, you know, they said you have 10 days, and in 10 days, everyone has to wear a mask. Well, if it's, you know, so important to be safe, why do we have a week and a half? 
and then they all did it on the same day, and then every small business followed suit except the restaurants. The restaurants didn't, but like, you know, like the place where you buy your dog food or whatever. And, um, you know, small businesses, you know, maybe I can, I can relate a little bit more, but just trying to buy food, like I couldn't even do that. And technically I'm violating libertarian principles. So I was just curious what you... No, you're not. Okay, because... <laughs> I you're, have so you're many fine. people. I have so many people who tell me I am. Sorry. Yeah, that that was a silly argument. Libertarians love to have silly arguments about whether or not you should walk on a government-funded sidewalk, or, <laughs> or, or my favorite is whether or not two-year-olds on heroin should be able to drive without a driver's license. <laughs> and I'd love to have those arguments, but I'm I'm trying to save people maybe a little bit of their freedom. Um, so I, I don't want to, the non-aggression thing is just silly because um, taken to its logical absurdity, we would all put ourselves in bubbles mm -hmm. and stay in our basements forever. And of course, that's not human. Um, the, the, the other thing we get wrong is this, a private company can do whatever they want thing. Particularly, I'm thinking more about uh, vaccine passports, but it applies to mask mandates and all this stuff. Um, there is a lot of uh, offers you can't refuse in this. And on one hand, I'm sympathetic to businesses who can't possibly survive the onslaught of implicit and explicit threats from government and, and all of that stuff. But there's also the contrary, because I, I think the airlines, I, I think I mentioned them earlier, um, they want the government to take that responsibility from them so that their most scared customers will come back. So there's a reason they keep saying, this, this is a government law that you have to wear a mask, and if you don't comply, we will, we will beat you up and drag you off the plane. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think that some businesses like that, but when it comes to like the, the libertarians that argue that as long as vaccine passports are private, they're, they're wildly naive. The Chinese social credit system is nominally implemented by private technology companies, and I hope nobody wonders whether or not that is a government program. I'm, I'm so, yeah, very, very nice. I'm so glad. So, so glad we agree on, on this, because uh, I thought I was going to get death threats from libertarians because um, I, I made some of those some of those same points some of them just 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 blew up those are excellent um, points uh, Emily um, I'd, I'd love to discuss them more but I think we're, we're running we're yeah, running we, out we of got time like, but we got like three minutes for two questions go ahead sure thank you um, so just like you guys super creeped out by all of a sudden everyone wearing the masks but what hits me to another level is the children wearing the masks and people that are masking their children um, especially again we're blessed that this, however bad this virus might have been, it didn't affect children, and yet we act like it was to this extent. And we talk about the facts are on our side, the numbers are on our side. It's like they're not even trying. It doesn't even make sense that they did all this with the numbers the way they are. But to me, it's like maybe it's not even us they're trying to do this to, but what is going to be the impact of these young children that are living in this world right now? And this is now all they know, and they're masked. And what kind of people are they going to grow up to be 20 years from now? right? Like really being able to control that population. And if we think that the mask or the, the stuff's going to come back in October, that would be the, the only thing I would care about is how can we hyper focus on not letting them do that to children next time around? Yeah. Uh, 
I would say um, every time I refer to masking children on Twitter or anywhere else, I always I don't call it masking. I call it forcibly muzzling children. Masking children is child abuse. Period. There's no way fans are best about it. Quick question. Uh, I'm a medical laboratory scientist. I run a lab of about 15 employees. I have been for over a decade. I understand PCR testing intimately and how, how, what the numbers are going on. Uh, in Utah, the system that I'm seeing is about 80% of positive tests are over a 30 PCR cycle threshold. Completely you know, irrelevant. So my question is, how do you message, how do you message that? Because most people don't care about data. They're just like, oh, it's a case. How do you message that? And, and also, they did change what was a case in the state of Utah. They're running 40 cycle thresholds in the largest system throughout uh, the state until after the election. Then they changed it to, uh, let's look at the cycle threshold before we call it a case, and under 25, we'll consider it with symptoms. So how do we message that? Because there's this huge disconnect where the reality is that the cases, confirmed cases, are probably you know, 75% less than what they said. Yeah, I think once you understand the, the factual realities of what's going on with the COVID pandemic and, and the risk related to that, it becomes time eventually to just tune out the nonsense. And that's what I advise people to do. Like, instead of going on the World Demeter's website, seeing how many cases your, your state has, just, just tune it out. And once, once you're at that level where you understand that the threat posed by COVID-19 should not change your life so significantly, whatever the corporate press throws at you and the government is uh, completely irrelevant because y you know the facts of the matter. So while they're going to try to continue to manipulate the numbers, continue to impose certain mandates based on you know, a, a new variant or whatnot, uh, once you recognize that, they're, that their game is, is total nonsense, you can, you can see through it all. Um, I'm going to go total white pill here and announce that my next panel is a whiskey tasting because whiskey is freedom. And it is LaCroix B. Uh, Joe Jorgensen is going to join us. She's a big bourbon drinker and it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, everyone. That was shameless. Yeah.